everybody. You guys hear me okay? I feel like uh, we good on sound. Thanks sound team, appreciate you guys. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really start by taking you guys back in time. Yeah, you guys wanna go back in time? You guys wanna go back to the late 80s? No? <laughs> late 80s, George Bush Sr. was president. Not gonna do it. <laughs> Wouldn't be prudent, <laughs> right? Man, I think, uh, what was gas, 90 cents back then? I missed those days. 90 cents was gas, and uh, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. Oakland Athletics won the World Series. It was the year of that earthquake, right? The year of the earthquake in San Francisco during the World Series. I remember that so well. Pistons, Detroit Pistons won the NBA Finals. Remember that? Some movies I remember that came off the top of my head, Steel Magnolias. <laughs> remember that? I'm dating myself. Some of y'all have never heard of this stuff. <laughs> I'm 40 years old, so. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You guys remember that? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Man, what else? Uh, Look Who's Talking. Remember that movie? Look Who's Talking? No, you young folks. That was a great movie. You young folks don't remember that. Man, and then there was this kid, uh, this kid, late 80s, about 10 years old, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, um, this kid, it's me. It's me. Late 80s, um, saw uh, uh, my first pornographic magazine. I was about 9 or 10 years old. Saw my first pornographic magazine. I remember it so vividly. Not so much the magazine itself. Um, who I was with, I was with my friend Johnny Waz, my friend John. We were at his house, rummaging through his dad's closet. He wanted me to show me this. So we, we looked, you know, kind of seems kind of innocent. But what ended up happening was it really, uh, it started uh, this whole process um, in my early, adult, early childhood and early adolescence. Um, of sexual lust, sexual lust in my life, where I started, uh, you know, uh, on this poisonous path where I learned about my sexuality from magazines. I learned about my sexuality from TV shows, from movies, from friends like Johnny Waz, maybe, from people like that and in ways like that. And you know, one thing led to another and uh, didn't have a good view of sexuality, not a pure view of sexuality. And uh, ultimately, it led to one of my greatest regrets, which was uh, not being able to give my wife my purity. My wife was able to. She was able to give me her purity. But I wasn't able to say that. I wasn't able to do that. Um, and I've missed out on great blessing for that. And because of my past, uh, with uh, having this skewed uh, kind of uh, inaccurate uh, view of my sexuality, um, it affected me then, and it, it still in some ways affects me today. Um, I'm still healing from it, um, still healing from my past uh, of, of pornography, and, and this skewed view, uh, the residue is still there. The residue is still there in my mind. It's still there uh, in my life, um, in, my, in my heart. 
But God has delivered me from pornography. He's delivered me from it. He's delivered me from the guilt and the shame of uh, not being able to give my wife my purity. He's delivered me from those things because he's graceful and he's forgiving if we ask. If we come to the cross and we ask for forgiveness. I'm free from these things now. But temptations don't go away. Temptations don't go away. I still struggle with temptations. They still come, right? It's like, you know, an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic and you're always going to be one. You know, you may have stopped, but you still have those strong temptations and they can kind of shape your life even going forward. Guys, we're in a war. We're in a war. We're in a war for purity. We're in a war for holiness. A war in this world for holiness. And I have the marks to show for it. I have the scars. I have the past. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Man, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have a past. You know, I had a life before I knew Christ. I had a life before he changed me. I had a life before he transformed me. He continues to transform me. So I get it. I get it. I have the scars. I have the marks to show for these things. You know, we're in this study in 1 Thessalonians uh, called Caught Up. It's about being caught up in Christ. It's about being caught up in hope. And not just any hope, but hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. You know, the world, as we've said, the world... We see in the world uh, a certain kind of hope, but what we see in the world is really just kind of wishful thinking. But we're learning that being caught up in hope in Christ, there's biblical hope. That's what that is, and it's grounded. It's grounded in reality. It's something real. It's solid. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus. Jesus is our living hope. There's an event that we can attach to it, the cross. And there's a future because of the resurrection. Man, there's a future we can attach to this hope because of the resurrection. It's real. And that's, what, that's really what we've been kind of learning in one way or another as we walk through this book from beginning to end in 1 Thessalonians. But because of, bibli- because of biblical hope in Christ, it demands, it calls us to live a certain way. This biblical hope, it it calls us to live a certain way because we have eternity. We have eternity in view and that informs us of how to live. It informs us of how to live. And so today, you know, the the previous three weeks, uh, four weeks, we've learned... You know, Paul has shown us, he, he's, he's, he showed the, the, the Thessalonian Christians at the time, like, this is who you are. This is what you have through your relationship with Jesus. You have faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. You have these things. And then we saw Paul, he was defending his ministry. He was defending his ministry. Man, look how you've been transformed. You can't deny what's going on here. Look how you've been transformed. You can't question my ministry or, or my motives for what I've done. I have been completely selfless. I have shared with you nothing other than the gospel. And look at yourselves. You're transforming. You have these marks to show for it. 
And now here we are today. This really kind of begins the next four weeks, including today, of this practical instruction on how God wants them and us today to live. Because biblical hope demands that we live a certain way. We cannot separate our faith and our daily life. That's not how it works. Man, God is in everything. He's in all the moments that we experience from day to day. He's in all the frustration. He's in all the anger. He's in the struggle. We can't separate faith from our daily life and our moment-to-moment life. So we're going to learn the next four weeks, including today, just this practical instruction on what this looks like, how to live, what does this faith mean, what Jesus is doing in my life, what does it mean to me today in my daily life. So let's open the scripture. It's up there on the screen. This uh, letter, 1 Thessalonians, that Paul, he wrote to this church, this uh, early, early church, Jesus died on the cross and he, and he rose from the dead and, and the disciples started uh, preaching this gospel, seeing people come to Christ and their lives were transforming. And then all these pockets of communities are created, these churches. And then here's this church in this city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica. And this is where a church started. Paul started this church and he writes to them. And this is our text today. It says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live. Scripture also says how to walk. How to walk in order to please God. We've instructed you of these things on how to please God. How to live. As in fact, you are living. You're living this way. You're living this way. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. (laughs) He's saying, don't get comfortable. You're doing this. Don't stop. Don't stop. Do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. We want to please people. Do we want to please people? That's good. It's okay. It's okay to want to please your mom. It's okay to want to please your dad. You know, to please a friend or to, you know, to please your spouse. That's okay. I mean, we should have a mind for that. That's not really a bad thing. I mean, God has put it in us to please others. He's put that in us and in our makeup. It's good to do a good job and please our boss. Man, it's good to do that. However, he's ultimately put that desire in us to please him. To please God, to please him. But because of sin, God's pleasure is not at the forefront of our minds. Can we be honest? It's not always at the forefront of my mind. It's not. It's not always at the forefront of our minds. And if God's pleasure isn't our target... Right? If God's pleasure is not our target, then who, who, what's going to be our target? Who, who, then who will it be? It's going to be ourselves. Right? It's going to be ourselves. All we're just going to have a mind for is just pleasing ourselves. Pleasing ourselves. And the world will tell you to live for your own pleasure. 
Live for your own pleasure. That's what the world is going to tell you. Because pleasing God doesn't sell. Pleasing God doesn't sell product, (laughs) right? Pleasing God does not sell product in this world. You're never going to hear that. You're never going to hear that to please God. It's always going to be to please yourself. But when we live to please ourselves, the floodgates open for all kinds of desires in our heart and in our minds to be manifested in our lives when we live to please ourselves. What pleases God is practice. That's what he's saying here. Living it out, walking, walking it out. What pleases God is practice, the practice of your faith. The practice of your faith, how we live. Living in a way that pleases God is central to faith and following Jesus. Central. And not only should we should be living to please God, we should be doing it more and more. <laughs> more and more. You know, I was just, uh, the other day I was going through Google. You know, you just Google stuff. It's awesome. Like, I, I, I like doing it. I Google all kinds of random stuff, just trying to learn stuff. And you go on this Google search bar, and then, you know, if you don't type anything in, all this stuff comes up in uh, this drop-down menu, and it's what's trending on Google. It's what's trending on Google. This is what's trending. This is what people are, are searching for, you know? And I was looking at this list, and this is, this is kind of what's on Google, trending, actually. Target stores outage. Dad pranks daughter with shorts. <laughs> Powerball jackpot winning numbers. Rob Kardashian. President Donald Trump is trending. <laughs> hey, resort Putankana, Dominican Republic. Uh, that's trending. That's a trending topic. Lots of bad things happening over there. Guys, the point I'm trying to make, if somebody Google searched your life, what would be trending? What would be trending? What would they find? What's increasing? What's abounding more and more? What's, what's, what's trending? What are, what are the tendencies and the proclivities of your life, of your heart? What's trending? What's, what's taking an upward trajectory in your life? Anger? I mean, it could be a, it could be a number, thousands of things. Our hearts are just filled with stuff. It could be anger, frustration, you know, whatever. What's trending in your life? What's increasing? What's abounding more and more? And, and, and Paul is saying... Man, he wants this to abound more and more in your life, is living to please God. Living to please God. Followers of Jesus trend a certain way. We trend a certain way. We're not perfect. We're not perfect, but we trend a certain way. There's a trajectory, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. But there's a trend that continues on. Man, are we on that trend? Are we on that trend of transformation? We're living more and more on a trajectory towards holiness. 
towards holiness in our lives. This means that Christian maturity is never finished. It's never finished on this side of heaven. It's never finished. No matter how far we've come, don't be cocky. Man, don't be prideful. Look at me. We're not finished. We're always going to be a work in progress until the day we die. We're always going to be a work in progress. So when we have this basic understanding, the following instruction is going to make real, real sense. Because if we didn't talk about this, then the next part that we're going to read just wouldn't really make a lot of sense. So what are these instructions that please God? What are these instructions that please God that we're to live by more and more? He gives us an example. He gives us an example in the next section of the text. And this is what he says. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness, in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger. Whoa. I read that. I was like, okay. I love those movies. God is an avenger. Not only does he save the world, he avenges it. Do you guys get that? I knew Jared would. It's a quote in the movie. The Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but he's called us for holiness. For holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but he disregards God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know, what is the will of God? Right? I think we all ask that question all the time. What is the will of God? And it's a lot of things. When you go through scripture, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are the will of God. And in this particular letter to this particular church, uh, Paul gives us insight into what is the will of God. And then this is what he says. Sanctification is the will of God. Sanctification means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from something else. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we begin a sanctification process. You know, when, when you read the Old Testament scriptures, you see how God called Israel to be set apart from the nations around them. They were called to be set apart, to, to be in this sanctification, to live differently than the nations around them. He called them what, to dress differently, right? He called them to dress differently, to eat differently, to treat their bodies differently, to celebrate differently. He called them to do everything differently. Differently. He called them to relate with each other differently. Differently. The Israelites were called to be different than the prevailing sexual permissiveness around them. They were called to holiness. They were called to purity. They were to take their standards of sexuality from God and not from the surrounding culture. Not from the surrounding culture. And really, since Christianity, it's not separate from Judaism. It's not separate. It's, it's a continuation. It's a continuation of Judaism. We're called to do the same. We're called to do the same. 
The sexual conduct of the Christian should be different than the prevailing sexual permissiveness of the day. Man, we are called to trend in sanctification. We are called to trend in sanctification of our sexuality. And, and, and this, this term uh, used in the translation, sexual immorality, uh, he uses this Greek word, it's, it's porneia. Porneia, it's kind of where pornography comes from, our English word. Porneia. And what porneia means, literally, is any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. That's what that means. That's what that means. Paul, he gives these commands to a first century Roman culture. Thessalonica is in Rome, and he gives these commands. He's writing this letter to a church in this culture. In this, in this culture where sexual purity was an almost unknown virtue, an almost unknown virtue, sexual purity. People are like, what? What's that? It was almost an unknown virtue back then. They believe that, you know, when you're thirsty, you drink. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're amorous, you have sex by any means possible any means. You have these desires, these physiological desires, you just, you should fulfill them. It's just like eating and drinking. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. All those things, eating and drinking, having sex, it's all, those are all good things. Those are beautiful things. That's a, that's all part of God's beautiful design. But sexuality is something entirely different than eating and drinking. Let's be honest. It's entirely different than eating and drinking. Sex is like a, a deeply intimate, extremely personal act. Deeply intimate, extremely personal act that puts us at our most vulnerable point. Pretty vulnerable. Very personal. Very vulnerable. But because of sin, we misuse sex. We misuse sex. Maybe we use sex as an offensive weapon. An offensive weapon to, you know, to gain approval, to fulfill our approval, to feel approved or loved or secure. We use sex to do that. Maybe we use sex as a defensive weapon. A defensive weapon to control somebody. And we control them by withholding sex from them so we can control them. Because of sin, we misuse sex, the, the, the beautiful design of sex in our lives. And we do it in the name of freedom. We do it in the name of freedom. I want to talk about freedom for a little bit. You know, most people, when we think about freedom, uh, we have in mind what? An absence of restriction. An absence of restriction, an absence of boundaries, right? You know, my dad, he hates wearing seatbelts. <laughs> he doesn't like to be told what to do. Putting my dad on the spot. <laughs> he wants to be free. I don't want people to tell me what to do. I'm not going to wear my seatbelt. He thinks he's free. Well, what happens if he gets in a car accident and is paralyzed? Is he free? No, he's not free. The seatbelt is there to protect you. 
It's there to protect you. It's a good thing. When we think we're free, we're not free. We're not really free. Guys, we believe we are free when we are able to do what we like, choose what we want. Choose what we want, do what we like, and decide for ourselves. That's freedom to us. That's freedom to us. But this, de- this definition is dangerously deceptive. Dangerously deceptive. This understanding of freedom, it actually turns out to be slavery. It actually turns out to be slavery that ultimately it leads to death. One of my favorite authors, I quote him a lot, Tim Keller. If you know Tim Keller, Tim Keller, he puts it this way. He says, by God's design, he says, by God's design, a fish, (laughs) okay? A fish, because it absorbs oxygen from water rather than air, the fish is only free if it is restricted and limited to water. If we put it out on the grass, its freedom to move and even live is not enhanced. It's destroyed. It's destroyed if it goes outside of those boundaries. It's destroyed if it goes outside of those boundaries. The fish dies if we do not honor the reality of its nature. The fish dies if we do not honor the, the reality of its nature. So instead of a lack of limits and restraints, freedom is actually submitting ourselves Freedom is submitting ourselves to the limits of the good nature that God gave us. Freedom is submitting ourselves to God's design for us. God's rules, his statutes, his laws, they're not there to hurt us. They're not there to hurt us, to oppress us. Although, man, we think they are. They're there to free us. They're there to free us. So what does this look like practically? Well, we got to stick with the text. So what does this look like practically? Well, sexuality. Sexuality. Sexuality is a part of God's beautiful design. It's natural for us. It's natural for us. We should have sex. We should do it. It's a part of God's design. But he designed it to be within boundaries. He designed it to be within boundaries of a marriage commitment between one man and one woman. But because of sin, we hate boundaries. Do we not? I follow Jesus. Sometimes I hate rules. (laughs) Do we not? We we hate boundaries. We balk at God's design. We balk at his, his statutes. We balk at all these rules that we see in Scripture. We balk at all these things. We think we aren't free, so we go, to, we go outside the boundaries. You know, I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to go outside the boundaries. I'm going to make my own rules. And we see a lot of things. We see this manifested in many ways. A lot of extreme ways. A lot of extreme ways. We see, we see you know, pornography. Pornography bestiality bestiality i know pedophilia pedophilia these are all extreme examples sexual abuse child sex trafficking we have somebody here that works in child sex trafficking child sexual abuse we have somebody that works in an organization 
for that, homosexuality. But guys, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not just these extreme things. These are like extreme, you know. It's also stuff, the, the, the things that are so permissive in our life that they're, they're just okay, they're natural. It's premarital sex. It's cohabitation, living together, having sex together before we're married, outside of the marriage covenant. I know. I did it. I get it. I know. And listen, I'm also going to tell you right now, scripture like this, not just scripture like this, all of scripture, it's for us. It's for the church. When Paul is writing this, you have to consider the, the, who he's writing to, the audience. He's writing to a church. So what we're seeing today, this is for you. This is for me. This isn't for us to just slap the Bible on somebody's head out in the world. This isn't for us to just start imposing our rules on other people out there that aren't Christian. That's not what we're to do. This is for us. This is for followers of Jesus to listen to and to follow. Man, we think we are free. We think we are free. We really weren't. We really weren't. We come to find because going outside the good nature that God intended for us, it only leads to death. It leads to decay, to deterioration physically, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, eventually. Functioning outside God's design eventually leads to oppression, guilt, shame. We're not free. We're not free. It leads to serious situational consequences. You know, I could probably preach five sermons on all of these things that I just talked about. We don't have that time. When we go outside of the boundaries of God's design for sexuality, as the text says, what's it say? We wrong each other. We do wrong to one another. We do wrong to one another when we do this. We're up against a powerful wave. We are. Let's be honest. Man, the cultural wave, our society, it's powerful. It is a big wave of influence. And man, we're affected by it because we're, we're in it. We're watching the TV. We're watching the movies. We're watching the shows. We're on the social media. We see all of this. We see all of this. It's no different than this church in Thessalonica. All these cultural messages that we receive about our sexuality. You know, when, when you think about it, what, 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 what's the culture saying? Sex is largely a means to, be, to personal gratification. It's largely a means to personal gratification, so it's okay to gratify yourself. It's okay. It's okay. Sex is a biological function, so it's normal and necessary to engage in it without placing any moral restrictions. Man, you have these feelings, it's natural, boom, go for it. By any means possible, do it. Go for it. Fulfill those physiological needs. Instant gratification is more preferable over delayed satisfaction. So premarital sex is legitimate. It's legitimate. Enjoyable sex is the most important factor in establishing a good marital relationship. Right? Right? That's, that's really common. 
You know, that's why we cohabitate before we get married, because we want to test the waters, you know, is this going to work? You know, let's have sex first, because if you're not good at it, then I don't want to marry you, <laughs> right? We use sex as a criteria for commitment? Really? If God calls us, if he calls us to, to save ourselves, right, if he calls us to save ourselves until we're married, then that means sex is not a criteria for, for commitment. It shouldn't be. But we make it that. It's damaging. It's damaging to our relationship with a person. It's damaging to our relationship with God. Guys, all these messages, when you, when you, when you look at them, they, they have no regard for the other person. They have no regard for the other person. Like this, the text says, when we do these things, we wrong each other. We wrong the other person. All these cultural messages have no regard for the other person. We only hurt one another when we assume them. The messages come from the position that my personal gratification is number one. That's a huge reason why sex is misused. It's abused. My personal gratification is number one. But biblically, when you look at the Bible, when you look biblically, sex is first, it's first a practice of holiness. It's a practice of holiness. When we engage in sex within the boundaries that God provides for us, it's holiness. It's beautiful. It's holiness. So from that viewpoint, all of those cultural messages evaporate. They all evaporate. But guys, here's the crux of the problem, okay? I'm going to close on this. Here's the crux of the problem. The text says, control our bodies in what? Holiness. Holiness. And later it says, God calls us not to impurity, but holiness. Holiness. In our culture, I want you to think about this. There is no longer a category. There's no longer a category for holiness. There is no longer a category for holiness. You'll never hear that word anywhere. You will never hear that word. Most churches, goodness, unfortunately, you will never hear the word holiness. TV shows, movies, media, books, magazines. You'll never hear that word. It's because in our culture, in our society, holiness is not a category. It's not a category anymore. You know, right, right up to the 1960s, right? The sexual revolution. Holiness just started. Psh, it no longer became a category. It was not a category in our culture. And when holiness is not a category, when holiness is not a category, our right to choose, our right to choose rights, our right to choose trumps what is right. Our right to choose trumps what is right. I don't care. You might be right about this, but I don't care because I have the right to choose. That's more right than what is right. That's what happens when holiness is not a category. That's what happens when holiness is not a category. So Paul here, he's keeping the category of holiness. He's keeping the category of holiness at the forefront of their minds and their hearts. 
He's keeping it on the forefront of our minds. And it's hard. I know. I get it. It's hard to keep holiness a category in your minds. There's so much stuff coming at us. It's hard to keep category, holiness as a category in your life. It's easy to forget. We naturally bend towards unholiness. We naturally bend that way because of sin. But when I look at the landscape of our church, man, I'm convicted by this. We have our fair share of kids. We have our fair share of kids. All of our kids, my daughters included, my daughters included, will one day encounter the dark side of the pillage of God's beautiful design for sex that our culture has just run over. Our kids are going to confront this, just like I did. Just like I did. They're going to confront this. It's going to happen. They're going to confront these sexual concoctions that we've created. They're going to confront these things. They need a place to go. They need a place to go and to learn God's beautiful design for sex. They must learn about sexuality from us as parents and from Scripture. And from Scripture. Not movies, not TV shows, not magazines, not friends, not friends, not their own imagination. Our kids have to learn about holiness and about sex from us and from Scripture. Are we giving them and teaching them a category of holiness? Is that a part of our language? You know, is it a part of our just our lingo? Is it? Man, I'm so grateful. God, he, he, he doesn't let this destruction, though, of his design for sexuality go. He, he still loves us. He, he still loves us unwaveringly. Despite everything that we do to his beautiful design, he still loves us. And he showed that on the cross. You've done all this, and yet I'm still going to die for you. I'm still going to die for you. There's no sexual sin outside of the ability of God to give grace for and to forgive us for. All we have to do is just ask. All we have to do is ask and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We only need to repent and believe in his free gift of grace. That's it. And he gives us his Holy Spirit and he transforms us. He transforms us more and more. He helps us to abound in sanctification more and more. He frees us more and more. We grow in this freedom. We go from this slavery that we were living in and we go to freedom. Freedom from guilt and freedom from shame. Freedom from all the nasty situational consequences of, of, our, of our sexual sin. Man, I, I, I regret things of my past. I do. But gosh, I'm so grateful that God has freed me from this guilt and this shame. He's freed me and he's transforming me. And he's helping me abound more and more in sanctification. That's just the reality of it. 
God wants that for you. He wants that for you. And in humility, in humility, people hopeful in Christ, we're trending in sanctification. We're trending in sanctification of our sexuality. We're trending in that way. And in humility, people hopeful in Christ have eternity in view. We have eternity in view. We have holiness in view. And we strive to keep holiness at the forefront of everything we do. Let's pray.